0: I don't. Did you? I don't know. Like, uh, there. She's out there. You're the Florida version of Sex in the City, JB
1: That's when I was smoking my cigar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't be an asshole today.
1: Something. Hi, Joe. <laughs> Hello. Nice to meet you.
2: So
3: nice to meet you. And i got the hour in Australia, but not for me. I'm the, I'm the vampire over here. Me yeah, too. So, Gemma, yeah, uh,
0: yeah, she is, yeah. Totally the same yeah. way. I, I get more done in the evenings than I'll ever get during the day. Absolutely. Oh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Gem's uh, parents are here from, well, her mom and her mom's boyfriend are here from Australia, and she took them up to the Lake District this week. Oh lovely. She said she would have definitely popped over my shoulder to say hello. <laughs> oh
3: no, okay. but Lake District that's a great choice. So I know, no, I know.
0: They're having such a great weather
3: for it too. I mean, it's so right. hot over there.
0: It's actually like just perfect, not too hot. Oh, not, yeah, right. It's not like too hot that you can't do walking tours and all that kind of stuff. So they're they're loving it. They're having a really good time. But you're from
3: Florida, so it's all just whatever for you, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um yeah i'm a little i'm a little bit of a stickler about the heat i don't like it because sure. even, even though like jay and i are from florida we're so accustomed to everything being air conditioned you know right yeah, true. right true. yeah
3: exactly yeah
0: yeah is and queensland's
3: so similar in many in, in in many ways it's so similar yeah know, so
0: yeah <laughs> yeah big time you is are...
1: the lake district like the countryside there is that mm. is that
0: yeah it's more dense foresty historic you Mm -hmm. know um that that kind of thing where the Bronte sisters did their writing and you know (laughs) it's uh yeah uh, there's a lot of tradition up there like uh yeah so it's but but I do think that Gemma's mother uh, was was born up that way so she is familiar with a lot of the places that they're going
2: Like oh, that's a, like a
0: reconnect uh, for her. So it's very, very sweet that Jem uh, took the week off to, to do that. It's a lot of driving, you know. It's 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 pretty far. <laughs> it's pretty far it's from. vibe though.
3: For yeah. parts of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So it's really it's it's great. So um, so Joe, <laughs> we we talked yesterday about your, uh, you are a composer, you are a music arranger, uh, you are constantly busy. I uh, I'm amazed at some of the the projects you've you've got going on. Um, did you hear anything about um, the? Were you up for an award?
3: I was, and it was on Tuesday. Was the ceremony, and we didn't win. Oh, it wasn't our Great uh, to be nominated, but but, uh, but what I the, the news I do have, which um, it's unofficial, uh, but it. It's looking extremely likely that the show will be at the the Sydney Opera House. More likely than ever before. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So we've had an Adelaide Festival um, run that was the premiere. And then um, next year, um, cross fingers and toes and touch all the woods and what have you, um, we -hmm. will have it at the Sydney Opera House next year.
0: Yeah. And we're talking about about the, the death of Dr. Duncan.
3: That's right, Watershed. He's well, this sort good. of quick but yeah but the, the death of dr duncan is um and there's there's actually now a book by the historian as well called the death of dr duncan which was connected very much to the show because he was our historical consultant and very much a big part of the show in fact he even appears in the show because he's just part of his world in a sense not right. himself he represented it right. a, yeah thought a, a solo and um and actually in the production we have a picture of him as well but but we actually just call him an historian, so it's not like we name him in the show. But, um, you know, it's just that's to sort of jump ahead in the sense that an example of, um, you know, the re- repercussions of a moment, the same way I'm sure it was with, with Matthew Shepard in the US, um, right. you know, right. such a horrific event. And then the um, uh, court cases, the injunctions, and then the political machinations and all that stuff so yeah
0: so in a way the topic is pretty timely with what is happening with the lgbt community now so much.
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, and even specifically in australia uh i mean i mean to, to, to go broad i mean i get the impression on twitter at least um i'm gonna call it twitter and i'm never gonna call it x by the way i know but, um,
0: so poor <laughs>
3: But um, uh, that brand issues are, you know, we're, we're going through that in a horrific way now. I get the impression it's really ramped up in the UK. There's a touch of it here, but it 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 has an American flavor to it in a sense. Sort of a... a oh, as, totally, a,
0: a, totally. That's right.
3: But here, but to go to even just the issue, um, there are... We had a, a, a murder of, funnily enough, an American man in Sydney in the 80s, I believe um that has just finally had its um had the had been brought to justice so the murderer has been finally um uh been put in jail basically right. uh and that's taken decades that's scott johnson who was a mathematician and oh. worked over here okay. yeah And also there's but they're actually doing an inquiry into murders of, of gay men in particular but i, I mean i hope that they're really thinking, hang on a sec, this is a community, there's there will be so many instances of trans abuse and what have you, and yeah. and, and you know, all the LGBTQ community are affected. So, but there is there are a plethora of, of particular violence against gay men, murders, unsolved murders, and what have right. you. So um, yeah, so it's it and the fact that it's gonna be done in Sydney, you know, fingers crossed and everything, yeah. it's funny how that was a moment for Adelaide, but it 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 was the uh, the first jurisdiction um, in Australia, well I think in English-speaking world, to eventually decriminalize homosexual acts between men, uh, and then that sort of, uh, that sort of had repercussions and flowed through. But in Sydney, you know, there's this um, uh, injunction, well, sorry, there's a investigation now, an inquiry into historical uh, uh, corruption in the police and unsolved murders and uh, and hate crimes bashings against gay men in particular.
0: You know, it's, yeah. it seems like it's taken so long for the smallest steps, like even to get something deemed a hate crime now, yeah. it amazes me that it has to tick all the boxes of certain criteria, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. so yeah. obvious to everyone that it is, and yet in order for it to be deemed a hate crime, so that the punishment is is fitting you know right Mm -hmm. it just it just seems to me that it it takes so long to move an inch um you know where anything is concerned like this and you know it we just i i guess like what maybe about two months ago jem and i went with a friend of ours to um two brewers which is a a gay bar in Clapham junction Mm
3: -hmm. and uh
0: Uh, We went for uh, to uh, it was it was like a uh, softball party like all the teams were coming to to kick off their season and whatnot and we had a really good time and there was a drag show and it was in the the drag show was in the front and the party was in a back room uh, private room or whatever Um, but then at a certain point like the doors opened up and everybody just kind of merged and it was like you know, it was the first time I had been in a, in a queer club in a really long time, as opposed to just going down to like Brighton where the whole area is kind of queer, you know, but in mm. a queer club that was, you know, right there in Clapham Junction. And um, we had a really good time And like two days ago, I'm, I'm scrolling my social media and I see a post that two men were stabbed outside of two brewers in Clapham.
2: I saw that, and I'm yeah. like,
0: oh my God, we were just there. Uh you know when when something hits like that close you know yeah yeah it's just like it takes your breath away because you know i i don't know and i for me like i don't want to be numb to it like i want to have that effect on me you know so Mm -hmm. that we can be more vigilant we can be more aware and your situational awareness is on high you know when Mm -hmm. you go out and whatnot but it's um it's I just mm-hmm. I just felt like we'd be we'd be so much further along, you know. I I
3: don't I don't know. Sure. You know sure. it's, it's funny. I I feel like when we yeah. have sort of uh, bigger bigger moments of change, uh like you know, various nations. I mean, I feel like I I was in the USA when marriage equality was achieved there, yeah. um nationwide, obviously. Uh and then and that felt wonderful. And then before you know it, Pulse Nightclub happens, you know, and then you right. yeah. drag that. Yes. You know, and then, yeah and then that Ireland has it and then Australia finally has marriage equality and then just the trans hate comes out and you're just like oh you know right you know. was um, that
0: was that on your mind when you were piecing together um your the Dr. Duncan story
3: sure yeah. I mean in many ways I had the, the beautiful kind of um opportunity to work with with uh, a whole group so i mentioned the historian a moment ago that's tim reeves and he spent his life really dedicated i mean he's, he's actually got a book in architecture as well so he has a or it's in um design uh decor anyway that's <laughs> so um but he's he's dedicated a lot of his life to this man and this moment uh that night that he was murdered which is just full of you know surrounded with all sorts of in uh of um contradictions and different accounts, and there were were several injunctions and several court cases and what have you, Uh, and it was all kind of uh, about police corruption and about conflicting accounts because, of course, it was uh, criminal to out yourself as gay, so there was all sorts of problems, you know, which has always been a problem. So, but (laughs) in terms of um, piecing it together in that way, we had um, uh, Tim Reeves, of course we had Neil Armfield, and he's kind of, he's, it, this was his baby, really. He was the one who phoned me and said, have you heard about the death of Dr. Have you heard about Dr. George Duncan? Although he was more affectionately known as Ian Duncan. Um, that's his middle, his second name. So it's actually Ian Duncan. Uh, have you heard about the murder of him and what it led to? And I said, no. And so I went on this this great pilgrimage and realized I was a bit of an ignoramus really to Australian queer history that this was such a watershed moment and that's why we called it watershed right, right. and it had two librettists so Christoph Chalkas um with it, it, and Alana Valentine worked together on this um you may know Christos in particular f- uh for his um work um he's got a book and it's actually been turned into a a TV series that was even an American version called The Slap uh, I don't know if you've heard of that. It was a TV series a while back. I think it, the American version only lasted one season. There's always that sense that you know it does something translate to a different to a sort yeah, of yeah
0: it doesn't translate yeah right. yeah,
3: yeah exactly uh, like The Office worked but Captain Kim didn't you know it's that kind of thing um, but yeah so the slap is a that's it's um, it's very much one of his his main works um, but he's also got I mean he's, he's a very well known author over here he also wrote. Um, a book called Head On, which was turned into a film. Um and uh yeah, and then uh, Alan of Valentine too. So, you know, an entire queer team brought together to be the creatives. And then I was basically there as Mr. Music. And <laughs> um yeah, and and we had discussions about whether it would be an opera or whether it would be more of an oratorio. Uh and by that I mean like Handel's Messiah, that kind of thing. Um, right rather so rather than a sort of straight staged play, I mean it's nothing straight about it at all. Sorry, I shouldn't <laughs> use the word straight. In this but just in in terms of the unfolding or the sort of realism of it, you know, do you just present the characters as they are, or what? What an oratorio does, which is sort of a much older tradition, quite a Christian a Christian tradition. Sorry, but then of course it's been redone and revamped in many ways, um, and we can take it, make it our own. Um, but what it what it becomes in that sense is a little bit more like Greek tragedy, so that if if an oratory is more about the voices and the choir and the soloists, not so much about you know voice uh, a character being played by a voice literally and being presented as real as sort of you know stylized realism. Right. It becomes more abstract in a sense, and that, often what happens is the choir become like society, and they play different roles. So they'll sing something, but they may be different people or different groups of people at different times. But then you'll have a soloist who represent one person, but we would have them change. So the guy, for example, who played um, Duncan at first, then later became Don Dunstan, or lots of Ds obviously in the names, mm-hmm. who was the premier in, New- in South Australia who, was really there was there were lots of political machinations, but it was really under him as the premier, the leader of the government in South Australia, to finally bring on in 1985 eventually um, the decriminalisation of homosexuality and I, well of homosexual acts between men, I should say, but um, and a, and an equal age of consent, in, in, interestingly too, um, which was un, which was not achieved anywhere else and I, and I well at the time anyway, and I believe. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I, you know, I picked a lot of this up as I went and I, and did what I do. But I, um, I believe South Australia was, you know, because of what happened, uh, the first English-speaking jurisdiction in the world to decriminalise homosexuality. I think the UK had started, but not fully, and then maybe it happened later. So it's very interesting that that this happened, and it all happens, you know, in the aftermath of, of well, in the in the time of, um, you know, Vietnam. Um that kind of culture, um, you know, police corruption. Uh uh in Australia, it was a change of government, uh, in particular to Gough Whitlam, who was a, a major reformist um uh prime minister at the time. Um, you know, he really dragged us out of the 50s and into the 70s, that kind of thing. Right. So it, 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 it it's a, it's uh it's the continuation of that in many ways. Um yeah, so Federation was incredible and there was just a lot to learn, but I sort of was the emotion behind the sort of facts that I learned. And then directed, of course, by Neil Armfield, and then of course the literary genius of Alana and Christos. Yeah.
1: I was gonna ask you that as a as a composer and a and a musician, like when you meet when you're when you're signed on to do a project like that, how do you, you know, where do you go to decide how you want the music, what style? And that's interesting, you know, that you say that because it does, it is the emotion. It, it brings mm. all the, you know, the music part brings the emotion to the whole project. So that's, yeah. uh, that's gotta be, uh, is that solely left up to you as the composer as to what style of music? you would be using
3: i think it is although um i think overall in this case it's kind of like you know we've chosen your voice we've heard what you do the the language that you, you create and i do write a lot for choir but
0: mm-hmm. i also write
3: for orchestra as well it's like about that but but also i think maybe because i do film as mm-hmm. well oh, so yeah. but i i think comparing it with film is probably the best way to describe it writing an opera or an oratorio i mean Let's put them in the same category in a way as as like a staged thing that isn't necessarily music theater. But it's even they can connect. I think there's moments of music theater in my show as well. But writing in that style, um, or having that gig is like doing a movie backwards. It's ah. like yeah. So it's it's as though I'm writing the movie and they're filming it to my like I'm writing the script, kind of in collaboration. Yeah. Wow. yeah I, when, Yeah, I mean, there's different exceptions because when Spielberg hires John Williams, he's definitely hiring John Williams' sound. So there's Mm -hmm. a similarity that way, but he kind of, he does the film and then John Williams fits it to that. And so, and often John Williams will, will, will talk about how, oh, you write a phrase, but then you might have to save the sort of second part of the phrase for another piece later or something, or something, or maybe the credits or something like that, because the scene only goes for so long and it has to change or what have you. So you can't just, you know, continue on forever. You need to um, give space to the dialogue and to the story and what have you.
0: Mm. Whereas
3: in writing a piece like this, in particular, you can let that unfold and let the music uh, unfold. And particularly with oratorio too, because it because it is more abstract. There's no sense that you know uh, a scene and there's just, it takes this long. Then we have a flashback or we or flash forward and what have you. We can just kind of tackle. Um, ideas there is a chronological sense to it to a degree but we can be a lot more abstract about what we're portraying here we can have tableaus and have moments of reflection um yeah uh that's kind of the best way I, I think to describe it and in the end I think my style um was what they wanted from kind of casting me in a way for the yeah. show but yeah yeah
0: that's that's really cool like when you so I was looking at some of the other projects and stuff that you've done and it's it's so vastly different. Right. Like, yeah. Like I yeah. saw the you know Bluey in the credits oh, right. and then I saw Pitch Perfect 3. Bay oh, World, that's right. And
3: yeah, that was just television like an hour ago an hour ago here. <laughs> what <laughs> this was funny? Pitch Perfect 3 finally you yes. mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> it was just on TV. I thought oh, good
0: I'm getting paid <laughs> <laughs> but you but, know, you know... they're yeah, so so different you know yeah. Like, yeah. your catalog feels um eclectic and and broad um so I'm wondering when you get called up for a project uh you know especially something that's heavy like like this you know watershed uh, mm-hmm. versus what you do with bluey and pitch perfect does your whole uh mindset going in feel different
3: well part of that is, is is taken care of for me because i would describe bluey pitch perfect and um watershed they're not only completely different um in terms of the style or what have you but i have completely different roles on them okay. so in, like, in pitch perfect I am literally no one. In fact, I'm not even in the credits, to be honest with you. Sorry to <laughs> but the bubble. I, my company is in the credits, so that was just a gig. That okay. was a great sort of like, oh, we need someone who, who um, basically, it was my job to help with the orchestration and print out the music, make sure it's all in order, make sure there's no wrong notes. Okay. Go to the recording session, put it on the music stands, and sit there and and be ready to print some more music if something goes wrong. Basically, wow. that was. That like, a like a project
0: manager, a, like, a, like a, yeah. a music project manager.
3: <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, I, I worked for this company called Steven Giuliani Music. Steve was the boss um, and I worked for him. I mean, that you know, working in Hollywood is like, um, you know, there are people who are major, but they they are made they are helped to be major um, by having a lot of people help them. And I'm one of many, you know, in that case. Right, right, you know, definitely. Working for a company who works for a composer, who, you know, who works for a director, it's that kind of thing um bluey is a little bit of like the next tier up in terms of like you know create creative um involvement having a credit and what have you in Mm -hmm. that that's really my good friend Joff's gig. joff bush is the composer of bluey he wrote the famous theme it's his gig i've done 20 episodes out of 154 uh every episode feels like a feature film it's a lot of work in fact i feel like i did more work on two episodes maybe of bluey than I did on watershed in some ways that's it's not true it's just a lot like a lot of people involved in that show um and it's true but um uh yeah but I'm he basically subcontracts me as someone oh this would be great for Joe and there's there's about oh 15-ish composers in total I think I've probably done um apart from Joff And and I'd probably be on par with one or two other composers as well. Uh, And I I live down the road from the studio, and I'm always in there.
2: Oh, Uh, (laughs) completely. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) that's like a kind of like a
3: yeah a collaborative team on different shows for that. And then watershed is for me, basically. Yeah. Yeah,
2: When I saw that you did
1: the music for Bluey, I was like, oh, I have to let my nephews. My nephews love Bluey, and I'm like. I told Denise, "Oh, I, he does, and the Wiggles. He did a Wiggles project too. <laughs> the two that I knew, and I thought that was like so cool that you have such a diverse um, catalog of, of you know, going from Bluey and the Wiggles to yeah. the, dark, the deeper stuff that you that you've done,
0: yeah. and not even like to mention your uh, involvement with choir, you know, yeah. and uh, and uh, and opera." And mm-hmm. like I was looking at some of the different pieces that were on your website. Do you it's um do you prefer uh like that? Cause it it seems so much bigger, you know, it it just feels <laughs> bigger and that's you know, climatic and swells and you know, if it, it it's definitely and it feels more live in the moment. So mm-hmm. it's is it, choir like something that you just kind of keep in your back pocket or for
3: well choir is where I started I think um uh my first you know major achievement I guess was um winning a competition uh with a famous choir called Chanticleer in who are based in San Francisco. Uh I was only 21 and then I just became a big choir nerd. There was a very strong pole program at UQ where I met Jem for example. Yes uh, I know and, she's very interesting. And... <laughs> Was gemma's theory teacher too i think back in the day <laughs> yes <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah uh the um uh, look, i was just gonna i was just thinking how there, there's so much they do but choir is has, i think it'll always be a major part and even to the point where um if joff might find an episode of bluey and go oh it's got choir i need choir like let's get twist into you know, get some great vocal parts and vocal arrangements and that kind of thing. I mean, in some ways it's like, um, it's funny that I'm, uh, I'm sort of doing all different things. I know I have have a book career, but, um, maybe at some point it might settle into one thing, which is, I don't mind if it doesn't, but just thinking about someone like, um, Harry Gregson Williams, I'm pretty sure it was, it was either Rupert or Harry, one of the Gregson Williams, they were, um, uh, composers based in London, and they met a fellow called Hans Zimmer, who happened to be working on a film called The Lion King, and they needed vocal arrangements. They didn't need vocal arrangements for the African music that was obviously included in it. Uh, they needed someone to arrange for voice for the, for the choral parts that would be more like um, background. I think this is true. I This is sort of something I've heard via osmosis, so it might not be accurate, really. But I'm sure that was the beginning. So obviously that was like a gig they had to do, but it wasn't like the composing gig, it was a helping out gig. And then they moved to LA, they got really chummy with Hans. Hans like gave them tens of thousands of dollars to set up a studio and now they're fully fledged A-list Hollywood composers. So, you know, even though that didn't happen happen for me when I lived over there so much, (laughs) I'm I'm very grateful (laughs) for the things I worked on. And, um, but it just goes to show that a composer is not just, well, first of all, it's not a dead white man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, black women and anyone, for example, and, uh, right, you know, and right. need to acknowledge that. But second of all, um, composers, some composers do a sort of one or two things and others do a lot more. Um, and that just depends on the composer. Philip Glass, for example, is, even though he does film scores as well, although he's sort of dragged into it slowly, he does right. Philip Lars, and that's kind of the most thing. Whereas, I mean, if you look at actually John Williams's, just to go back to good old Johnny, his <laughs> um his sort of trajectory and his uh everything he's done, from being a army band arranger to a jazz band, a jazz, a fully fledged jazz pianist with a very successful jazz band, then to writing all kinds of film scores, he calls himself a chameleon in that way. And I think that's great. And I loved, and he, you know, he, he'll he do arrangements. He's done commercials. He's done, he played piano for many years in studios, you know. So I think that if you're open, if you love the idea of telling a story through music, and that's basically what I do, whether it's like writing a choral piece, doing an arrangement of a pop song with a famous artist, like all the wiggles, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> it's all just Tell it storytelling it might be a little contrived sometimes, but you're still in some way telling a story through music like using the spectrum of um, voices sometimes matched with words or orchestra and the colors of orchestra and instruments and, and chords and harmonies match with picture to tell story. That's really overall the guts of what you're doing and whether it's a arranging gig with the Wiggles or an animated show like Bluey, or a tragic um, historical um, uh, event um, with political and social you know, machinations like Watershed, then, you know, you just, that's what you're doing. You're telling a story with music. Yeah.
0: It's yeah, I think <laughs> And the emotion it brings. Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, we're kind of like at a time, like if you think about like in the 80s, soundtracks were making their way into mainstream you know film soundtracks mm. were really making their way from well i mean going back like saturday night fever you know was uh, like right but yeah. you know the ones that have like more of a like musical uh, um you know without like a pop song or a, a song that you're going to hear on the radio like the godfather you know sure. i think like you know people went back and looked at those scores you know like and it. because of how popular soundtracks were getting it made you appreciate mm-hmm. uh, you know the 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 composition in in film things like i remember for me i after i saw steel magnolias in the theater you know and then i would you know see the a, a commercial or something for it on tv and those that me- you know those melodies or those those notes would you know you could connect with them again i went out and bought like The soundtrack to steel magnolias you know and just like oh my god like there's no words it's all instrumental you know but it it just like made you you yeah even more with the film and i think that um that it's it seems like finally you know composers are getting more work uh more notoriety you know Mm. more, more and more except you know there's those big few like you mentioned you know hans zimmer and john williams and those, you know, we hear and we know because they win Oscars so often, you so, know what yeah, I mean? But to know a little bit more about like behind the scenes, what it's like, you know, I love watching like a documentary and stuff uh-huh. about it where you see the the picture on this huge screen and they're all in like a, you know, a symphony hall and <laughs> they're watching it with absolutely no sound and then you're watching them the conductor you know with an orchestra putting that sound together and it's yeah. um it's um un- it, it's a, it's a just an under appreciated talent you know for, for yeah. doing for doing that like it's very
3: Friendly.
0: yeah it's really it's interesting.
3: I mean, it's why I moved to Los Angeles. Well, I started in New York and then I moved to LA, but it's why I was so keen to get over there. I mean, I applied for a scholarship eight times at least. It took me a whole decade to finally get the scholarship to go to the USA. Um, wow. And I got a PhD in that time, randomly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, just, oh, I, was, you know, I get 10 years and I'll do a PhD. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, yeah, and I finally got the scholarship and I was, and I'd learned things and I'd studied over here as well. Obviously, composition PhD, but I also did a film music course. And then I went and did another master's after my PhD. Really weird doing a master's after your PhD at NYU. So finally got this scholarship. Then I moved to LA and I lived there for a good six years and worked in the industry. On, you know, we, we mentioned Pitch Perfect 3 was one example. I did work on The Force Awakens, for example, Star Wars. That was one of my first, right at the very end of it, did almost the nothing. They watch. It,
0: but I, Let's, lest we forget, they well, watch. <laughs>
3: Yeah, the, the movie although I kind of wish I, w- I was around in the night well it's, it's a kind of it's a good and a bad thing this is something about the nostalgia of how innocent the old Baywatch show was yeah, in, in right ways, right
0: but... yep yeah
3: it's <laughs> but, um, cool though
0: it's totally. a Jay as a songwriter, as a singer songwriter your music and lyrics and and uh, composition of a song is like usually like deeply personal Whereas right. Joe, you sometimes have to leave the personal aside for the right. project that you're working on to put the music to, um, you know, to match what's going on, uh, you know, in, in the project. Like, it's very similar, but so different in the way that you have to approach it.
1: The closest I could think of, like, that I could relate to that is I I've had... Uh, two people asked me to write songs for one was for a wedding was for their like their own personal wedding song and one was my friend wanted a song to from her to her mom and dad to thank them for uh what they how they supported her through her life um as a gift to them for for their anniversary so I would sit down and say well tell me your story like for the particularly for the um The wedding song, like how did you meet and what do you want to say? And so that's the closest I could really relate to that. But uh, I could see where that's completely very, very different when you're, it's almost like doing it backwards, like Joe said, like first you, you you're almost like the movie
2: um,
1: first. Um, But what you said before, Denise, was interesting when there's a composer like, like a certain style of music brings you right back to the era or the decade or the or other movies in that realm and that feeling, because I just watched an old Barbra Streisand movie, um, The Mirror Has Two Faces. Oh, yeah. And I think Marvin Hamlish did the, the music for that. And I, I think he was really good friends with her. Um, and I, like just watching the movie and hearing the music in the background brought on a feeling of like nostalgia, you know, like just brought me right back to like, I think it was the early 90s that movie was from. Mm-hmm. So I I totally get what you mean because at the end of the movie I'm like, "Oh, Marvin Hamlisch did that score." So most of it, a lot of it was was popular music that they were just playing like when they were dancing in the nightclub mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, it was like some uh, you know, standards. But yeah, I get totally understand what you mean by that. It can totally yeah. get a lot of feeling, even if it's just the background music. Right. Like, right. Like,
0: yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it was, it's, it's just crazy. There's, you know, there's been a few instrumental soundtracks, you know, that, I, that really resonated with me. And um, one of them was an old Julia Roberts movie. I can't even remember the name of it was Campbell Scott and he was dying of cancer. And she was like this haphazard chick looking for a job and got hired to take care of him or whatever. Oh yeah. Um, dying young. Dying young. Yes. Yeah. That was another soundtrack I went out and bought because the instrumental was so beautiful, you know? And Mm -hmm. I didn't have an appreciation for things like that before movies. Like, I can't say that, you know, I listened to classical music or orchestral music, you know, before that, but because something, you know, with the movie and hearing it made me appreciate it more, go out, buy it. And then I became like, wow, like I, I, I dig this. <laughs> I had it in my car. I bought the CD. It was crazy.
1: Yeah, it yeah. adds so much to the emotion of the scenes. Like, like, Joe, like I can't even imagine, Joe. Like how you would begin to like compose, like especially the orchestral uh, type of music. Like I just watched. I've been on an older movie kick you know like when i say older it's the 90s which is kind of scary to think the 90s are older movies exactly perfect storm with uh right the music in that in that uh
3: movie is it james horner Horner, i I think
1: amazing like it just that brought everything to life i mean the whole thing with when they were at the sea when the you know you see the ship at sea it's just like when you if you when you write for something like that, like, how do you even begin to real, to think about how big you want that to be?
3: It's, it's tough. Um, and it's even more tough when you go from, from thing to thing, like, like we've talked about being eclectic, but, um, you, one trick which has risks, but can help is to do what's called temping or a temp score, for example. In fact, a temp score can actually be a score that's been put to a film by someone else completely, just for the editor, just to go. Oh, we need something here, and they get they get anything, something from old scores, often just you know, or even these days library music, which a lot of reality TVs, and I've actually got some music out there. You just you just write a mood, a vamp, a style that's just really easy to edit, and you just chuck it out there. But so mm-hmm. of, often just putting something up against it. Uh, anything. And actually, I mean, often you're working with, with you know, computers these days, it's so much easier, uh, although it has its problems too. But, um, you know, you can get a pretty decent sounding, um, an actual recording of a flute in your keyboard, you just chuck it up. And it's not, it'll always not be as good as a real thing, but at least it's a recording of each note in certain ways, and sometimes phrases, and you can use that. So you just, you know, you put it there on just a scale, a chord, and you go, what is this making, making you feel? Now, um, even just to be technical about it, I think it even just goes back to, um, but but also not too technical. Um, we think about major and minor chords and, you know, when we're very young, maybe our teachers tell us or we work it out for ourselves, you know, what is a major chord? What is a minor chord? Well, you know, one makes you feel happy and one makes you feel sad. However, yeah. the beauty of music is that context really comes to an it intimate too um, because you can write a really sad song in a major key and that's, I always think some of the really fun stuff is when you start, you know, mixing and blending, or you can, you know, or even a simple thing like, um, I mean, this goes to opera and this goes to, um, and even like the er music in the early 20th century. So, you know, obviously the Hollywood tradition was like the European orchestra thing that then went into America and jazz, and it's just all very broad what have you. But it all it does still grow tradition still grow out of what was created in classical and romantic periods opera operatic um music um with certain sounds and um yeah to what instruments signify um you know uh john williams chose obviously low two very not the lowest note in the double bass for, for a shark for various reasons but if you've got birds You know, you'll use high pitched instruments to sound like birds. But even something like a tradition where, in the, just for example, um, the early 20th century ballets of Stravinsky and people like that, they would use the folk tunes of the day or the folk tunes that people knew. They were often just all the white notes or all just um, simple major scales, sometimes minor scales. But if they put more of the chromatic notes in, or, or explored relationships between chords that weren't just like one, five, four, you know, or weren't just sort of diatonic, or weren't just sort of in the major scale, started borrowing from other things, the more it became things that were supernatural or yeah. things that were uh, magical and uh, otherworldly. I mean, it, actually it's funny going back and, and looking at, um, you know, Bach is actually, I mean, it's not really that old, but um, people sort of rediscovered Bach, even, even, even a, hundred, a couple hundred years ago. And it's funny how there was even a discussion about how when he would write chromatic, you know, going through all, all the all the black and white notes on the keyboard, and that would signify one thing and mean like a kind of tension. And then when he went back to just sort of major minor scales and modes, that would represent something else emotionally. You look at the words in his passions and his cantatas and what have you, often very very um of course they're Christian um but how they tell the story and they relate to different characters it's all the same thing uh but just in different styles so it that's like my rambling of how I think it works but I've just I think as a kid I was just captivated with this background music or even just the way a song helped a montage sequence you know or whatever Right. It's,
2: just, right. it's
3: a fascination of how visuals and story uh and music relate there's no rules but there are conventions and cliches in a good way i mean that mm-hmm. we've created over hundreds of years
0: yeah i don't even yeah. think
3: people realize like how
0: subliminal you know mm. the effect it has on them you know oh, like really. i i can't i can't try on clothes without wanting to play pretty woman you know, oh, <laughs> right? And we all saw the movie, and it just don't 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 don't. You know, it's like yeah. it makes you just want to go put on something and come out and show it. You know, like it has yeah. such an effect on us that we don't even yeah. really know.
3: And it's I know, um, and I think it exists in the world of TikTok still. I mean, the yeah. tracks that play when you're scrolling through endlessly, and there's you know they they all still have a meet have a, a vibe and. Uh, feel and some of them are humorous and some of them are uh sexy and what you know yeah. so yeah and what that's it you know sexy might mean more bluesy for whatever reason i mean that's mm-hmm. just like we just apply that tradition and yet the blue scale can also come from spirituals which are so the opposite of being sexy you know so <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah you know, it's, funny, it's how funny how there's connections but you just the context there's just there's something about a rhythm or a chord or whatever that relates to things i think it's just a mix of of the world around us that exist like things that are um objective and then things that are subjective that are usually more cultural and they're just an interplay of that basically
0: it's so true i feel like um like the older i get the more expansive you know, mm-hmm. your, your mind becomes, you know, whereas I'm sure at some point it'll narrow and snap right shut, like in my, in my seventies, <laughs> but, but, you know, right now is a moment. And, um, like I, uh, for the longest time I would come downstairs on Sunday mornings and Gemma would have like a, a classical music, um, playing while she was reading a book or having <laughs> you know a cup of tea or whatever. And um, I don't to think- I would never like you know in 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 my lifetime before like that would never occur to me mm-hmm. to to check that genre out you know what I mean? you know what I mean but like yeah like I would pour a cup of coffee and I'd sit next to her on the couch and I would just sit there and I'd be like this is nice this uh, is- right it's like like all of a sudden you know but I just feel like we're just at this this uh, point where people are starting to appreciate. You know, m- music more, and I and I do think that weirdly it's because more people are interested in technology, you know, and they're they might not have to have like this extensive music background and and stuff, and they're messing around with like GarageBand and you know different sounds, and they're like they're able to do like their own little thing with it and feel super proud of it, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I do think that we're at, you know, uh, where music and technology, you know, like you were saying, computers, you know, now are making things a little bit easier and they have, they do have their downside, I'm sure, you know, but, you know, not to mention the apps and all that other stuff and realizing that like to make a TikTok video, it's so simple to put music to it. And now it's made, you know, something that was just a dumb video or whatever, Mm -hmm. even better you know, and, and right. it's just, it, it just amazes me how everything intersects at some point, you know, like it's really um, crazy to think that, you know, there's one way of doing things where you can sit with some lined, you know, music paper and compose that way. And there's another way to do it, you know, by sound and technology, you know, mm-hmm. like we've just come so far and, you know, it's mm-hmm. uh, it it must be a little bit daunting like to know like like to think about what the future holds you you,
3: you know i I think the future is ai and dare i drop that into and that's a scary thing however i i have faith in the sense that in at least in terms of really good um storytelling scoring a picture in particular the art of it i have i unless hopefully i'm not proven wrong I I don't think anyone's, I mean, people have, obviously AI has now written songs. I think they've all been rubbish. No one's, I've still haven't seen, like some have been like, wow, that's um, freakishly, like it's still freaky that that's the computer. Like we're all a bit amazed by that, that, wow, we didn't realize it'd be that good. But, but I, I don't worry so much about them writing good songs. I mean, right. I mean, I'm terrible at lyrics. It's why I work with lyricists. It was interesting. So, JD, I, I always, you know, I take my hat to have to people like you who create a story from the beginning. I, I'm more of a springboard person. But I don't think AI is going to... I think AI is worrying with, with lyrics actually more than music itself. I mean, the music, it might be able to, to create a... Um, there are certain genres that I think it can easily create, something that is probably generic and that's subjective, I know. But it just kind of makes sense that it picks up on these trends that are... Cl- so clear in what we do and they've and become generic that the computer can do that okay that's fine but when you think about how someone very carefully scores um star wars for example I mean I reckon AI could probably score a scene from law and order possibly Right, uh, and, right. Because usually and actually Mike Post is brilliant and I love what he does it wouldn't do it with the same finesse it would miss some deep emotional elements but yeah. That right. often it is just a tone, and then another tone, very slowly, and then it moves and it becomes more and more dissonant and and cycle and just intervals that are not not sort of they they well basically dissonant you know is and that usually sounds more more freaky and scary and psychological. So yeah, I reckon yeah. it could possibly do some of that, but it but for it to do the. Complex interweaving of Princess Leia's theme with Ben Kenobi's theme that then becomes the Force theme in a different way. And like the same theme is now used in a whole new orchestration. Like that would be, if it can do that, then God help us all. I don't
0: know. I I do, I agree with you there. Like I feel like AI is never going to be able to caption human emotion, you know, that is so needed in in yeah. stuff like that a commercial jingle yeah probably no problem right right um, you know what I mean? mean? Yeah. those little segues between scenes and sip, sitcoms like mm-hmm. yeah no biggie but to to capture uh the human emotion that you you need in um yeah a, a massive project that are that is going to you know uh you know, going to affect people you, that you want to affect people. I think it's mm. it's never going to be able to do that, and you know, mm. I, I just don't I don't see that happening. I mean, like you said, God willing, <laughs> God willing, it can't.
3: That's it. Yeah. I also don't. Think you can do a, a really good commercial jingle. I, I mean, if it does, it'll be interesting. I actually think that humans have written the best commercial jingles simply because we can write hooks and hits. And I haven't heard AI do a hit like you know Brill Cream, the oldest um, jingle out there. Why is it good? I don't know, but it's just something catchy about it. It just it's an earworm that sticks in your head. I yeah. think it required a human to know what sticks in your head.
1: Right, right, that's true. I, I, you know, and also like going back to what uh, we were talking before about like different errors. First of all, I think I was wrong about Marvin Hamlish doing. I just looked it up, The Mirror Has Two Faces. I think it was a different Barbra Streisand movie, but it definitely was a Barbra Streisand movie. Um, I was listening the other day to uh, On Hold music from ATT or something. Home Depot. <laughs> yeah. Some store that kept me on hold forever. And I said to my sister, because I had it on, on um, speaker, I said, I feel like this is background music to some 80s movie you know and like there's a definite like is there something joe like specific because definitely you know there's that feel like denise was talking about of an 80s movie so it would be like baby boom or those kind of movies you know like i like do you as a composer do you know what that is like i can't put my finger on it i just know that sounds like it's something that would be background music for an 80s movie
0: it is a well, sound, I, right? Like you capture, like an yeah. era captures a sound, but a sound for different Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it is it is weird.
3: You know what I find, and because I work in comedy sometimes, I work on another TV show called The Strange Chores. It's the same animation studio as Bluey um but no one watches it no one's heard of it <laughs> i think it's a great <laughs> show it's aimed at kids it's more of a comedy it's aimed more at older kids so sort of um six to 14. anyway we are often it has a lot of references to all the great um well there's you know whether they're great or not is is subjective but um you know cult films let's let's call them that of the 80s and 90s so there's an episode we're doing. Where the their teacher basically turned out to be a robot. But there's just all these Terminator references. You know, it's so many Terminator references. But what I find interesting, because I am a big fan of like B grade 90s, 80s movies, because some of them have brilliant soundtracks, often by a composer called yeah. Jerry Goldsmith. Um, and this goes to JD, what you were talking about with um, uh, synths, I think, or with like music of that period. And how and, and the, the the music that you listen to on hold like i've heard the same thing and i listen to it and and i go wow this is so outdated now but you know when you would hear this is in a comedy because yeah. it's funny how something that we took seriously decades ago is now so dated <laughs> that now it becomes hilarious so i mean it was obviously the same thing like whenever you had like a drawbar organ or like um, a nice string melody with a drawbar organ and, and like a bongo or something it was so 60s it was wheel of fortune um, shopping music and immediately it's just that you know <laughs> it's and then now like a, a dx7 i use it all the time um uh with like you know really um funky synth from the 80s and like a um uh what's it? There's a there's a there's a you hear it a lot even in like whitney houston Stevie Wonder, and it sounds great, but it, you just go, "Wow, Seth, that sound is so '90s and so '80s." You know, still well done by great, great musicians. Right. But I we use it now all the time. So I'll do these big orchestra stuff because a lot of drama and crazy action that that happens in it. But we use it for comedic effect to 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 you know evoke a period. Um, and also, we actually do it in the show because the show's kooky and scary in a sort of Tim Burton way. But it is for kids. So are always talking about oh let's we need to make it we often just say rubbery I don't know why we say rubbery just need to make it make it um serious and intense but then just shave off the edge to make it funny and often it's just like going for those really like dun, 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 kind of moments like serious yeah. <laughs> but also just like putting the synths in sometimes it can be really serious and and it's like because they're the kids who like technology and then they're they're, called, they're supposed to be monster hunters in the show so they've got and one of them's a bit more of a computer genius so it's got that kind of vibe to him but then when you just turn like a sort of the vibrato up or the modulation up on it and it becomes more wobbly sounding then yeah. it sounds funny and you just yeah. kind of loosens everything up and you mix that with like trumpets or whatever and anyway i'm, I'm rambling on here i know but it, it, i find that utterly fascinating because i mean yeah. if you compare um uh action movies today um uh Tenet I mean it's Hans Zimmer or um I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet but Inception perfect example it's so boomy I mean I like Hans Zimmer I think he's a brilliant producer in particular and he, gee he makes a great soundtrack um and it's fine but I have a bit of a nostalgia for a movie like Executive Decision I mean it's a very very patriotic period of the 90s I think it's sort of a bushier <laughs> I guess but the music in it is stunning. It's got this John Jerry Goldsmith stuff with trumpets and there's all these soaring lines. And it's funny how it I find it more emotional and actually a lot less pretentious. And I almost feel like, even though it's a very patriotic film at that time, it, it almost is just a sense of, it's just the tongue is very slightly in the cheek, not taking it quite as seriously as you could. Whereas now it's all doom and gloom. And I'm sounding like an old man now, but just- <laughs> But to do that, to do what Executive Decision did now, we laugh at it a bit. We go, "Oh, it's so passe." But I also look at it with with nostalgia. You know, there's there's an an authenticity and an earnestness that I think we miss today, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think AI could, as you said, like they could maybe program into say '80s style, but to get that feeling of whatever that scene might be bringing how could you have a computer know how to do that so i I think you're right and ai
3: will not set the trends like it won't ai won't make us go oh you don't use that sound anymore like that's so dated like it'll have no idea surely it might pick up on what it can read i suppose it could in some ways kind of scary when you think about it a bit but surely it's still humans who drive that change somehow i don't know i'm not I hope we're not proven wrong, but I just have this feeling that, like, these are human things that we... Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it is, it's, um, I think, you know, what you bring to that project, too, you know, like you were saying that, um, that they, that they came to you with, with the Dr. Duncan thing, you know, knowing, knowing your work, knowing what you've, what you've done, what you've achieved, and they've, they've listened... They connected with something, you know, mm-hmm. that is, that is uh, what you bring to the table. You know, they connected with Joe twist. They didn't connect with um, a piece, you know, that, that, that they, they, that, that they couldn't place or whatever, you know, like they, they went to you for a reason. And I just don't see people saying, nah, don't worry about hiring him. We'll just have, we'll put it, run it through AI, you know, like I just, yeah, I know. yeah. Insane, I- you know, I don't know. No, I, I hope yeah. I hope yeah. we're all right in saying that you know that's yeah. not a possibility because it's, who knows what the future holds. But I do definitely. think it's really interesting um, that you just you, you know worked on this watershed project, and it it was something that took place like in, in the seventies, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. In the 70s.
3: and then of course it kind of goes in, into the 80s in terms of the political machinations. But yeah, right. the guts sort of it happens then. But we sort of reflect on it in the now a bit too. But that's much more kind of yeah. yeah. We don't really go there, we just talk about what what's happened. There. Right,
0: and you know the like when when it, in fact it was Gemma that told me <clears throat> the premise of the story before you know that you just went went into a little more detail. She just gave me the high mm. level overview of it and um and didn't say anything about the era and mm-hmm. I assumed it was 30, 40, 50s, 60s, like you know, uh, way back, like black and white days, like way but way, way way back. Like yeah. that was just my assumption. I had no idea how recent that was, yes. you know, which is yeah. telling, you know, you know, very telling of 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 your, you know, the state of things then. Um, That's really compared cool. to you know to us where it was just all hippies and free love and every, you know every you know what i mean um yeah, yeah it's it, that was what made it like super interesting to know that it wasn't that long ago that mm-hmm. you know the decriminalization of you know boy sex yeah. was, you know was, was squashed and it's just like to me like i think because we do Get taken aback when we hear that you know the 80s were 40 years ago or the 90s were 30 years ago or whatever, it you know <laughs> it'll always seem like yesterday, you know, I mean, those so impactful. But then I feel like people that were in their 20s and 30s in 2016 when gay marriage became legal in the states or whatever, like they're gonna look back. At that time, is being like so great the way we did about the '80s. So it's kind of cool, in a way. But it's also, like it it snaps you back to reality that we've got such <laughs> a long way to go, as far as you know, equality and you know LGBT things. But you know, women, trans people, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's rights are getting stomped on left and right. You know, no matter what country you're in, there's something going on that is not quite right. You know, and it's just never going to be right. With governments getting involved and religion being involved, and you know, um, laws aimed at certain things that you know, that that, 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 the people that are proposing them are not educated enough on them to know that they're you know, that they're not wrong. Sorry, yeah, not wrong. You know, they want to stop this, they want to put a stop to that, they want to criminalize this, you know, criminalize marijuana, they want to. You know, the women's rights, abortion rights, and all that kind of stuff. Like, get a grip! Like, there's so much worse going right. on. That needs to be right. yeah. That let you know, like it it it's mind numbing. Um, but um, but you know what? The good thing is, is that there'll always be music. They're never gonna outlaw that. <laughs> the same, no, always,
3: you know. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> it sounds very Spanish Inquisition. That's like you know, going right back banning music. You know, um. Yeah. I mean, you know, how, how the the money they would lose banning music. Sure, hopefully, it would, you know, that would right. happen. But.
0: You know, but it, it's it's all crazy, interesting, and um, I I really I I actually couldn't just couldn't wait to have this conversation because I know that it would go in all kinds of places and it would
2: yeah.
0: be um, you know, like everybody would would take away something from it and learn something from it. So I I just appreciate your your time and and uh allowing us to creep into your evening like this.
3: <laughs> no, it's pleasure. I'm always up for chats about stuff. It helps me learn and kind of um from different perspectives as well. Right. I love that. That's why I collaborate with people. I always learn more from other people. And also just it helps me kind of crystallize what it is that I do because sometimes you can sort of you focus on in the weeds on certain things and you kind of right. don't have time to sit back and look at what it is you do. But um yeah, yeah oh it's been a pleasure if you're hope um, that
0: it'll turn people
2: on
3: but,
0: sorry yeah. what's that that's my my hope is that it'll turn people on to paying attention to yeah. background yeah. music yeah. and cinematic scores and you know the the music that you hear in uh in plays and uh you know go check out an opera go see you yeah. know this is the the bbc proms is winding up so i'm looking forward to the last night of proms you know like how fun that was like that was a whole new experience for me um to see how involved uh british culture is in in that kind of classical uh, symphonic type music that they do it for like an entire month and then you know everybody's all into it and then at the end it's like one giant party (laughs) it's unbelievable you know they're bringing their things and waving their flags and wearing their funny hats and sunglasses and it it's you know it's like I'm I was honestly I was so impressed with how cool this was that every year now like I'm into it so that's what I mean I just I think hopefully we can open some minds and, and make make people appreciate and and pay attention more to to things they take for granted or don't even you know that just slip by it always surprises me
1: when I watch when I see a movie with other people people who are not like musically too much inclined uh even if they're not musicians but if they're just not really paying they people don't some people don't pay that much attention so I'll leave a movie or walk out of a play thinking my god that music the background music was so amazing and they'll be like I guess you know like they didn't really pay attention yeah, to it. they right. just came away I from it not even hope. remembering right I hope like what you said people start paying more attention to that because That's it's such a part true.
3: yeah it, it can oh, be I funny know. too because movies are so diverse I mean uh, there are movies that don't need music almost at all and they're mm-hmm. better off without it so it's funny I mean and so you know I mean if you really want to be met um be existential about it you know you can question you know when music stops and noise begins and you know what mm-hmm. is music anyway but I, let's not go there that's the to <laughs> um it's but it,
2: but
3: can almost get into this because some of even doing what we do is actually deciding no this this is better with no music this is much like and i've had often um i'll say i'll have disagreements saying oh, i don't think there should be music here personally or i'll say no there should be music here um with directors and what have you and Film in particular, I mean, opera is, like I said, you know, it's the music that actually drives the story. It's it's the film that rolls along. So mm-hmm. you sort of, and then the action and the drama is shaped on that. We had a dancer in the show as well. By the way, I should say, you can actually hear Watershed, it's online. Um, it? If you just Google Watershed in full, for oh. some reason in full, yeah, it'll come up. It's on ABC Classic and the performance is there. Uh, just the audio, but it's a very, it's great recording. Um, I need to get it released properly somehow and but i think they want to wait for the opera house version so but yeah if people want to hear it it's all there and um even just to pick on, on one uh, up quickly on one little thing you mentioned about you know the period the 70s and the 80s and and how instruments play into that um i did i, I played a delicate balance with one particular part of watershed where don Dunstan has this this um solos aria type thing uh, Don Donovan co- really being kind of political hero in the whole thing. But it was his struggle. He was arguing with the police and he was um, putting on record what he believed that had happened that night and, and the police were involved and what have you. Um, it's a short little thing. But I actually put a guitar in there with a, a effects pedal that sounded very 80s porn-like. <laughs> but <laughs> I did it in just the right way. I mean, the music was very... In some ways, the music was almost a bit filmic, but it was very struggle hero kind of thing, like it was exploring different chords and it would reach a sort of moment and come back down and then, and, as the, and it would reflect the words of what he was saying, you know, I believe this and I believe that. He's telling this whole thing, I believe in 1972, there was a police cover up, the founding of Duncan, Duncan they're the words. And it's rhythm, and then it's this guitar, like kind of you know going along there. And but it was just kind of cool. I thought that this is it. It's it's because he was a really cool guy. He was a groovy left wing politician of the time who you know uh, uh, people believed in at the time because it was sort of the period of free love and hippies. Like there's a bit of that involved, what have you. Uh, And for you know for queer queer rights, it was very early for Australia. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was a watershed moment so it's funny how that's just another example of how you can rationalize I suppose after the fact but you can try something that you might think oh is this going to work and even though you would think oh that's a terrible idea because that's so dated and it's like so you know bad taste <laughs> um it worked it just kind of <laughs> gave it just gave him a touch of pizzazz or something whatever that is you know right. uh, but it, but the music was still serious the strings are playing serious chords and, and and rhythms and harmonies but this guitar is just like jamming out so. <laughs> without,
0: yeah. being, uh, without being without being found
3: yeah without being totally you know although we are talking about sex after all but yeah still, exactly. you know, the the but um yeah but it's it's still it's it almost was like a moment of lightness because and then then there's a court case and it's really intense and dramatic and what have you so um yeah i'm always it's all just part of the, the fun of, of storytelling you know um oh, oh, so every song does it uh and in some ways an opera or a oratorio or a film film's a little different but it they're still just telling a story the same way a song does just in a different way it's just unfolding over time and words and married with with music that makes you feel a certain way you know it just
0: yeah. yeah well i love it that- quite the talent for it so <laughs> you, thank you keep you, doing Jen. what you do and and um we'll just have to keep an eye on you mister oh yeah oh, thank thank you.
1: You. pleasure meeting you joe i have really
0: yeah, yes.
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, like i said i've heard so much about you i couldn't i couldn't wait for this like Gemma speaks so 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 highly of you and she's always um keeping up with whatever you've got going on and filling me in and so I, I, this has been an absolute pleasure. Like to say now that we have met. So <laughs> next time That's you're fine. in London, she said that we are we're all getting together.
3: I uh, appreciate <laughs> it. and thank you for being so accommodating. Uh, no worries, no worries. My night owl tendencies. It <laughs> 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 nope. actually works great, I'm sure, with time differences and after all. So
0: it was a lot yeah. of time zone math. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're getting better and better at it. All right, my friend. It was it was a, a pleasure, and uh, we'll That's keep. Mine. Yeah, we will. We'll keep up, and uh, we'll hope everybody opens their minds a little bit.
3: Right.
2: <laughs> take care. Thank,
0: so uh, yeah.
2: thank you. Thank
0: you.
2: Um, Why do you always do you run? run you? Back
0: to like you? never stop chasing your dreams. Sarah,
1: that's safe. <laughs>
2: <true.
1: laughs> we drank Why way too much whiskey.
2: Attention.